says, well, you know, funny thing, I've, I've just spoken to, to Cameron, Cameron McIntosh. And I said, but I, I don't know who, who's Cameron McIntosh. And, uh, and he said, uh, no, he's an, he is an ENT in, uh, in PE. And, um, and he, he said the same thing to me. He said, we've got to get a, a rhinoplasty society together. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Rhinoplasty Podcast with me, Dr. Cameron McIntosh. We are in the month of August, and the theme for this month is International Experts, and it's brought to us by Pentax Loops. Guys, you know Pentax Loops are absolutely brilliant. I use them. I love them. Um, there are a lot of loops out there, but uh, shout out to them for bringing this educational podcast to people from listening all around the world. And today, it's a man I've been wanting to interview for more than a year, but he is so elusive. The president of Sorsa, Stuart Geldenhuis. Stuart, welcome to today's episode of the podcast. Hi, Cam. It's great to be here. It's uh, looking forward to having a chat with you uh, to talk about all things rhinoplasty, I guess. Yeah, we won't just talk rhinoplasty. There's so much to chat about apart from that. But Stewie, yeah, it's so nice to be able to chat to you. And I thought for the listeners just to uh, explain to them how you and I actually, we've met for the first time in 2016 in Versailles, if I'm not misunderstanding. eh? Tell us a little bit about what your impression was of this Cameron McIntosh guy when you first met him. <laughs> oh, that's a funny story. So well, I'll, 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 I'll take a little time. It was, uh, it was actually September. It was the IMRHIS, so it was the International Meeting of Rhinoplasty Societies. Um, and it was in Versailles in September. It was, I think, the 6th to the 8th of September. Uh, and uh, I was well on my way to becoming a uh, rhinoplasty geek at that point. And, um, and I remember going there with uh, Peter Scott. And uh, he was the only other guy that I knew was there from South Africa. And uh, I recall having having met him and, and, and said to him, Peter, listen, we really need to, to uh, uplift rhinoplasty back home. And he says, well, you know, funny thing, I've, I've just spoken to, to Cameron, Cameron McIntosh. And I said, but I, I don't know who, who's Cameron McIntosh. And, uh, and he said, uh, no, he's an, he is an ENT in, uh, in PE. And, um, and he, he said the same thing to me. He said, we've got to get a, a rhinoplasty society together. And I guess so from an independent perspective, we both had the same idea at the same time. And I guess that was the start of our, our kind of collaboration. I think it was a, a year later that we, uh, that we actually kind of got things going. Yeah, I tell you, Stuart, it's been great. I mean, the chemistry is is wonderful with how we've got on. Tell tell the listeners. So, where did this whole rhinoplasty journey start for you? I mean, you you grew up in South Africa, and then you went to medical school, and you became a plastic surgeon. But talk us through what brought you along this route. Sure, Kim. I think yeah. I mean, it's a it's a difficult thing to put into any single. You know, is it, was it a single moment? I don't think so. I think it's a, a kind of a progression, you know, from, from the beginning. I, I always knew I wanted to be a surgeon. Um, I, I was definitely more surgical and, and physician in, 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 in my, in my makeup. Uh, and so it was a, a progression from, uh, general surgery, then through to plastic surgery. And I, I guess it was, it was interesting is I recall doing, um, studying for my, my final exams, 
And I spent an awful lot of time in the rhinoplasty section, you know, really looking at the detail. I, I recall speaking to, a, to one of our, our colleagues, and he looked at me, and he had, he had qualified already, and he was giving me a few words of advice and doing a bit of tutorship. And he said to me, he said, you don't need to know that kind of information. And, um, but I just recall becoming completely immersed in studying rhinoplasty at the time. And I guess, so it's in small little steps, you know, uh, the first, the first part of your plastic surgery career is, is generally reconstructive based and it's, um, and, and probably a lot of breast surgery with very little facial work. Uh, and it was after I spent uh, three years as a consultant in the Department of Plastic Surgery at the University of Cape Town. Um, and, and uh, progressively went into private practice. And uh, I guess it was in the subsequent years that I really started kind of exploring rhinoplasty and doing rhinoplasty quite poorly, as I, as I recall. Um, but but it's a, it was a progressive journey. And I, I would say probably for the last six, seven years, it's really become my, my passion. So are you currently in full-time private practice? So, so currently, I'm I'm actually a part-time consultant at the University of Cape Town. With with COVID for the last few years, obviously, um, my my services uh, and the services of the hospital really have been curtailed. So, the involvement the last few years has been very limited. But I am still part-time consultant, sessional specialist. But uh, the rest of my my practice is private. Oh, that's awesome, man. And no, and Stewie, um, just slightly digressing off. Um, of the rhinoplasty side, I mean, you, you also married to a doctor, if I recall. <laughs> recently, recently, but not recently married. So um, yeah, so I, I can say very proudly that my my wife uh, got a doctor doctorship um, uh, about three months ago in uh, in forensic uh, law. So, and I, I must say, when you when you see the amount of work that goes into that, it's uh, it's quite quite a special achievement, I must say. They don't hand those out. They don't yeah. hand out very easily, I must say. We're very proud of what she's done. Eh? So, Stewie, um, you know, we we so lucky to operate together at times, and I'm right-handed and you left-handed, so we can actually do a, like a rhinoplasty in half the time. One of the more amusing things I find is working with you is that you are so dedicated to perfection. And I'm like, Stu, we've been at this now for like four hours. Can we now have a break? And and I find that so inspiring. It's amazing. Where does this come from, this thing of wanting to be perfect in what you're doing in rhinoplasty? Oh, Cameron, it's so funny that you say that. You know, I, I, I think I think intrinsically it's just kind of built into you. For one, um, you're right. I mean, I, I, I certainly know that I have an eye for detail, so I can't let things go. If I see the slightest thing that isn't correct, um, that that you know, I, I, I will I will chase those down. So I guess it comes from seeing first of all, um, and and I think yeah. I mean, if if, if I mean, I, I recall many times operating with you. And I recall those moments where I could see you were like, Stu, listen, it's time. We can, we can stop this operation now. <laughs> um, but I, 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 you know what, you know what's interesting, Cam, is that I've, I've spent some time with uh, some of our colleagues from around the world, some of our, the exceptional surgeons around the world. And what's really interesting to me 
um, is that many of them uh, operate in a very similar fashion. And I'm talking about really some of, of, our, of our really yeah. most exceptional surgeons um, that we learn from constantly. And, and for me, that's really vindication that, those, that that time spent on the detail is really worthwhile. Um, uh, certainly, you know, in, in, in more experienced hands, it's, it's, it's performed, um, in a way kind of in a, in a, in a more, you know, in a, in a, in a more, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, in a more efficient manner, certainly. And I think that's about, ex that's about experience, but, but that, that detail, you know, that the surgeons are fixated on that detail as well. Uh, I think does give me hope that I'm on the right path. Yeah, yeah. So, Stewie, I want to ask a slightly different question now because uh, this is more for for possible like patients who are listening. You don't just do rhinoplasty though. What what are your other main uh, interests that you that it, within plastic surgery that you do? Cam, again, you know, this is this is you know, I think the one thing that I always think about. Is is what do you want to be doing? I consider what do I want to be doing most of the time. And I think, you know, in your practice, when you start out, you take whatever you get, um, for better for worse. And I think as we go on, you know, we we have the privilege now of selecting those things that we really are passionate about. Um, when it when it comes to, and I'll just I'll get back to your question, but when it comes to rhinoplasty, you know, we we recognise that this is an exceptionally difficult uh, surgery. And it requires absolute dedication. So, you know, I don't foresee myself, and this is, I'll get back to the original question, I don't foresee myself doing much more than rhinoplasty over the course of the next five, 10 years. Um, but, but at the moment, because of where I've come from, you know, I'm still involved in breast surgery. And in many respects, that was the, you know, that's, that's what my, my practice was built on initially. Um, and I'm also, I'm also really, uh, I also really love facial aesthetics and I do quite a lot of non-surgical uh, facial aesthetics. And I think the advantage of that for me is that particularly with filler treatments, not so much Botox, but constantly you're assessing, uh, you're assessing facial, um, harmony, balance, proportion. And I think it helps to train your eye in facial aesthetics and facial balance. So for me, I think that the combination of doing nasal surgery and facial aesthetics really helps in terms of of um, of balancing because I think nasofacial proportion is something I often see even if it's a nice nose where the, there is some disproportion and it, there may be reasons for it but it does maybe detract from a perfect result. So so I certainly I, I'm quite sure I'll continue to do. Um, non-surgical aesthetics, and uh, and as I said, I think my passion's taking me further and further down the line, uh, probably to an almost exclusive rhinoplasty surgery practice. Yeah, it's awesome, Stu. I, I, it's, I mean, I've learned so much from you in many ways, and one of those things is not just to focus on the nose, but to look at the whole face. Okay, so let's chat a little bit something about something quite different. You have got these really cool scrubs on. The world rhinoplasty. Now, this was something. I just want to say, Cam and I had the we kind of we, we, we hooked in earlier, and Cam just said how disappointed he was that he hadn't worn 
is World Rhinoplasty Day scrubs. So, you know, Kevin, okay. But just for anybody, this this is uh, the saucer logo, and this is the World Rhinoplasty Day logo. And Cam, maybe maybe I can put it to you that that maybe you can because that originally was your baby in terms of kind of uh, in terms of uh, sort of the um, what's it the the, the sort of uh, concept. And maybe you maybe you get to explain how you see World Rhinoplasty Day going forward because we haven't forgotten about it yet. No, no, not at all. Eh? I mean, we, we've we decided that we will have the World Rhinoplasty Day as the equivalent of the Olympics of, of uh, rhinoplasty. So every four years, we're going to be doing it. Um, we had our first one in 2020, and we'll have our second one in 2024. And kind of what had come out of it, so I think kind of maybe dialing back a bit, Saucer and how it started is, it's amazing to me how our passion for rhinoplasty brought in many ways this, the, the plastic surgeons, the ENTs together to do a society that I think has changed a lot in how rhinoplasty is educated and seen in the world today. So Source has been going now for six years. And during the lockdown, I noticed that there were so many people that almost like self-promoting. And I thought to myself, no, man. This isn't the way it should be. Let's get the boys to fight it out. So I approached some of the really big hitters and I put this idea to them. I said, guys, why don't we have like a preach-off? So we would then, and it morphed, and it was just so nice to have people like Basil and Wolfgang and Enrico who then put their hands up and said, yes, let's do it. And having the Saucer team come together, we did this 24-hour webinar where every like region around the world, starting in Japan, working its way all around to to um, the west coast of the states, people could a society or a region got to present in this webinar. And yeah, I don't think any of us really thought it would would it happen. But I decided to myself, I thought let's do this like the Olympics. Let's get the guys number one to put their best foot forward not limit them to, to how they should. But secondly, the thing that was to me probably the most important was that we got the editors of the three biggest journals within the world of rhinoplasty to be our judges. And uh, yeah, Jeff Marcus, I sorted they run me out and won the gold medal. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Stu, tell me a bit about Saucer. I mean, you took over the presidency at the World Rhinoplasty Day like two years ago. You've had a tough two years to try and do stuff, eh? Yeah, look, I mean, I think the world's been a tough place for the last two years. But I think, you know, the the the, the Saucer Exco really is a group of like-minded people. We work together. Um, I think president, not president, they, 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 they're not really – for us, as you're aware, those titles are not really relevant. I think, you know, we have an objective and that's something that we set out to achieve a long time ago. Um, and obviously, you know, the main objectives were promotion of, of, of higher standards, professional skill and competency among, uh, amongst rhinoplasty surgeons in South Africa. And obviously, the collaborative nature between different societies and, I mean, different specialties, plastic surgery, ENT. Um, and then, the other thing that was really important that we also wanted to do was also the co international cooperation with societies around the world. Um, and, um, and obviously that's for the advancement of, of the knowledge uh, of rhinoplasty. So, you know, I think this is an on for, for us at Saucer, this is an ongoing process. 
Um, and I think the momentum that's been generated, I think Saucer has had a, a reasonably key role in that, um, is to be part of a, a movement where there has been a lot of collaboration. And I must say, amongst rhinoplasty surgeons in the world, um, they really are the most giving um, and and um, uh, and generous in terms of sharing information and knowledge. And and the world of rhinoplasty in the last two three years has really really catapulted, um, even during COVID. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I feel I feel we're privileged in terms of where we are. We we're privileged to be part of an international community of of really amazing, amazing people. Um, and it, it, it makes it even more special to be part of, uh, of the rhinoplasty, rhinoplasty world. That's oh, cool, though. Okay, so, Stu, let's get a bit more technical now. Like, I think you and I are very uh, kind of at the same place where we exploring preservation rhinoplasty very seriously. I mean, we were both in Bergamo. Uh, before Bergamo, I went to visit a couple of the 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 heavyweights and afterwards, and you've then taken it further and you actually were at the combined meeting in Istanbul uh, that Goxel and Barish um, arranged with Dini came over as well. So what are your thoughts now compared to perhaps a year ago in preservation rhinoplasty? Now that you've started to do a few preservation cases, I'm so interested to hear what you think about it. So, I mean, this is, this is re- I mean, as a society, I guess we are just just scratching the surface, uh, particularly understanding that we haven't even got the basics you know, from a from a from a country from South African rhinoplasty. You know, we, we haven't even got the basics in terms of the fundamentals in terms of um, in terms of structural rhinoplasty nailed down. So I think I think that we have to understand that the that that the techniques are moving at such a speed. Um, and just as just as every other, t- I think when 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 preservation rhinoplasty came out, it almost was presented as an alternative type of rhinoplasty. And I think through the last couple of years, one's understood that it's it's more tools in the toolbox. I mean, and and so it's not for me. It's not an and or. It's it's the necessity that one learns these techniques and applies them appropriately. So. So I think you know in the in from the beginning I think you you tread gently institute these techniques when it's entirely appropriate if you have a doubt and you feel that your old technique is going to give you a better a better result then stick with that and I think as you gain more information I mean more knowledge and more expertise and more comfort then you can slowly transition to the more difficult cases I think you know I I, I know I know um, being at, uh, at the, at the uh, combined meeting in Istanbul, he really gave a beautiful presentation of his first six cases at the beta. He, he spelled them out. Uh, and he said, he said his first case was some guy who said he didn't mind if the dorsal hump wasn't completely removed. And he said, that's the one I'm going to start on. He said, this is the one, you know, and, and, you know, and so I think, I think, you know, careful selection of your preservation cases to start off with, I think is essential. But I don't think it's an option not to incorporate preservation. And equally, I think the techniques for closure on a plasty. I, I remember so many of the meetings we used to go to, you know, and there was the, the closed group and the open group. You know, and there was sparring matches between the two. Again, I think that's the wrong approach. I think, you know, as a as a rhinoplasty surgeon, I think you've got to de- develop 
closed and open skills. Um, you've got to understand the, the techniques in preservation and you apply them, learn to apply them appropriately through experience. But you should have all of those tools in your toolbox. So I think this, this discussion about, you know, do you do open or closed or do you do preservation? I think that's less relevant now. I think all of us are understanding that you need to know them. You know, you need to know all these techniques. And what's going to be really nice is this, uh, the Saucer Surgical Summit in November that we're uh, presenting here in Port Elizabeth, of all places, where we're going to be able to have. Well, yeah, but there's going to be cadaver deception. <laughs> we've got six piezo machines that we're bringing in so that people can get learn from two of the world's most eminent rhinoplasty surgeons, Sam Most and Wolfgang Gubisch. I mean, they're going to be here with us. You can go on a safari with them, then go to the cadaver lab, and then watch them operate. Each of them are going to do a primary and a revision case. So I think it's just a real opportunity for the South African and obviously any visiting surgeons to come and hang out and learn more, you know, to be a rhinoplasty Absolutely. geek. I think, you know, I think, Cam, that's the thing is, you know, one of the, what the most important thing is how do you, how do you introduce all these new techniques? And I think it starts in the cadaver lab and it starts with observation. Um, so, you know, I think opportunities like these exactly where, those that have absolutely no experience. I think this is where it starts. So I think great invitation to anybody who's looking uh, to get onto the preservation um, uh, techniques. This is this is the kind of opportunity I think that uh, that, that you should really be be uh, diving into at this stage. Okay, so Stu, yeah. tell me, I whenever I go and visit some of these guys overseas. I go through a moment of just feeling so depressed and I think to myself, I'm a kindergarten. What am I doing? Yeah, I am. I'm dedicated to rhinoplasty. I mean, you know how much we love it. We've set our practices up for it. It's, it's our, it's, we eat, sleep, drink it. But you look and you think to yourself, hey, 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 when am I ever going to become as good as these guys? Eh? How do you handle that? Well, you're right. Well, you're right. You're right. Well, you sit and you, and you, you observe and you have these beautiful, you know, these beautiful kind of moments of seeing, of seeing people that inflow. You know, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Um, I was actually quite fascinated with those processes, funny enough, because, you know, I think the techniques, you know, you and I, we've, we've kind of studied them long enough. We, we know about them. But the, the one thing that occurred to me that was so interesting is that the techniques that are used are not different. So they don't, the guys you're watching, really are are just in the zone and everything just works beautifully one of the i mean experience you can't buy you know i'm afraid that's the 10 that's the 10,000 hours first of all so you know you got to understand that that's the first thing but the other thing i think is the process there's a there's a, a slight disjunction between knowledge between experience and and this ability to make the correct, the absolutely perfect decisions, both in quantity and quality, to get the absolute result with um, with very clean operating skills. Um, and I think that's that's a process that you know that takes a very long time. Uh, I, I think you know, and, and and I think it's about the dedication. You know, it's about looking, and and this is stressed often. It's, it's, it's looking at your results, looking at the things that you didn't do right. You know, you learn a lot more from the, from the ones you didn't get quite right. 
um, and so documentation, interoperative photographs, videos, reviewing that, uh, seeing where you went wrong. You know, that's absolutely critical to be able to do things differently the next time. Um, so, yeah, I think, I mean, it's, 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 it's beautiful to watch. It's amazing to watch. It's like a great sportsman. You know? It really is like a, watching a, a great sportsman perform at the top of their level. And, you know, I take absolute joy in that, I've got to say. Um, and we can aspire to that and we can learn from it. So it's not a, I don't see, I don't see it as a negative. Um, but it can be quite frustrating at some time as well. If anything, you know, I, I always, Cam, I always have this, uh, and I have this kind of analogy about, um, about rhinoplasty. It's a little bit like, it really is a little bit like golf. You know, the pros are out there and they play and your patients, you, you got to kind of make the cut. You know, the cut happens after two rounds of golf. You know? But the top guys, the top golf players, they don't win every tournament, Cam. But they make the cut. They make the cut in ninety something percent of cases, you know. And so that's what we need to do. You know, we're not going to give every patient a perfect nose, but we've got to make the cut. Um, and so, it's, so, so for me, it's really just about being able to achieve a certain level every time. Um, and and every now and then, you're going to do something very special, you know, and win a tournament. But most of the time, you know, you got to get those patients over the line. Okay, so Stu, uh, I even can tell the listeners that Stuart Geldenhuis sleeps with Dean Turomi's book next to his bed. <laughs> Stuart, do you, what do you do when you don't do rhinoplasty? <laughs> <laughs> I've got a few. No, a few next to my bed. <laughs> so what do you do when you don't do rhinoplasty? What are some of your other things you get up to? You know, Cam, I think for me, I think it's important. I mean, like I know, I know you subscribe to the same things. Balance, balance in life is is critical. Um, you know, I, I'm a, I'm, I can quite happily say I'm a I'm a family man. Um, I love spending time with my family. Um, I'm passionate about traveling. I think the experience that we get from being in different environments is something that enriches me constantly. Um, I, I mountain bike. I kite surf. Uh, I do yoga. I walk in the mountains. So I really enjoy kind of being out. Uh, I love socializing, spending time with, with, with mates like you when we get the opportunity. Um, yeah. So I, I, I like a fairly diverse lifestyle in terms of many different things, but, um, you know, work occupies a large portion of our time. So, you know, when I'm there, then Rhino Blast is definitely where I want to be. Work hard and play harder. Yeah. Of course, yeah. of course, it's awesome, mate. And and so yeah. so, Stu, I'm I'm trying to think that other things listeners would would really want to know more about. Eh? Is um, what would your encouragement be to to like the young plastic surgeons who who still possibly still residents or registrars? You know, it's really really hard work, and and they work so hard to get to become. A, a resident, and then your residency is hard work. What's your kind of inspiring uh, message towards um, plastic surgeons? Because bearing in mind, the world we live in is expecting instant answers, and it takes so long to become good at a, at an operation, which is really difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I, th I think the biggest the biggest thing is that is that you need to make up your mind at some point with a 
rhinoplasty is is something that you want to be doing. Um, I recall when when I was a when I was a resident, I recall um, there was a there was a, a there was a, a very clear um, directive that if you were wanting to do cleft lip and palate surgery, you had to be doing at least a couple of weeks, so that when you had finished your training, if you weren't doing a couple of a couple of couple of uh, lips and palates, um, they they felt you probably shouldn't be doing it because you were doing a disservice, and and uh, it, I might be intentionally controversial, but I think rhinoplasty really has got to that level in terms of complexity, where where I think people need to understand is that they're going to be embarking on rhinoplasty. They need to dedicate themselves to doing rhinoplasty. And in the beginning, clearly their expertise won't be there. But if they've if they've spent enough time uh, with colleagues, if they get colleagues, their, their senior colleagues to come and assist them. I mean, in our theatre, we have an, an open door policy for, for for residents to come in. We house two of the of the teaching universities. They have some of their residents join us. Um, we are affiliated with the ISAPS, uh, and we have a fellow with us at the moment. And we have a new fellow every quarter um, who joins us, and part of theirs is obviously uh, learning about different techniques. But I, th I think I think the opportunities are there if you want to be a rhinoplasty surgeon. I think you need to dedicate yourself uh, because the complexities these days will dictate that that's necessary in order to get consistent results. I mean, I think Cam, that that really is is you know I, I don't think you can I, I I don't believe that you can be a competent rhinoplasty surgeon and do one every two months. Um, I, 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 I think there'll be one or two cases that might fit into that in that category. But I mean, when we started, Cam, I don't know what kind of education you had in rhinoplasty, but it was, uh, I, I learned a closed de-humping in fracture with a cephalic, with a cephalic resection. That was, that was the rhinoplasty. And I would say maybe one in 10 patients long term would have a stable tip. Um, and no inverted deformity, you know. So, in other words, if the nose didn't conform to the procedure long term, it wasn't successful. Um, and things have moved on very substantially since, since then, um, and the complexities in our understanding. So, I think it really necessitates younger surgeons uh, becoming dedicated if if they want to do rhinoplasty. And I, I don't know what percentage of revision cases you do. Um, I'm, I'm seeing probably more than about more than 50% of my cases are, have had surgery before. Um, so for me, that's really that's really indicative of um, of the population. Uh, who've, you know, we've had we've had surgery before. Yeah, but Stu, I think that's what Source is all about. Eh? It's about trying to increase having better patient outcomes at the end of the day. So if we can upskill each other and and learn from each other and get better, then we're going to have better patients. Eh? So, it's job with uh, one last question. Yeah, carry on. Yeah. No, no, I was just about to say is, you know, why, why, why does a younger surgeon have to go through the same kind of process that we went through? You know, we can, we can hand that information over so that they can start where we are. You know, I mean, what a, you know, I, I wish in a way that I had yeah. somebody who could have started me off where I am now. Um, and, I, and I'm very jealous of those, uh, like, like Aaron, who you know, he had a dream. He had a dream start, you know, in life. You know, he had a dream start. You know, and there, and there are many others of us. But um, but you know, 
to have had to have that opportunity, you know, really just just increases your your ability immensely and and long term. So, Steve, yeah. my last question, it might be kind of difficult to answer, but is there the one thing that why you do rhinoplasty? What's that? If if you could put your finger on one Oof. thing, what what is it? Uh, it's not it's not one. First of all, I love a challenge, Cam. That's the first thing. Yeah. Absolutely love a challenge. <laughs> my brother from another I mother. Love, I love the I love the challenge. First of all, um, so that's exciting. I think the you know, it's it's the preoperative analysis and opening a nose is a little bit like opening a, a packet and and seeing what's inside, um, and then and then also to have the tools and the and the and the techniques that you can manipulate and change shape um, for me is just spectacular, and that it necessitates an aesthetic understanding and a and an understanding of balance and proportion. I mean, it's it's um no, I, I don't I don't see that there's any any more challenge challenging surgery. Um and you know and and I love a challenge. So yeah, it's a com it's no it's no it's no one thing, but it is a combination. It is a combination of things. But 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 the challenge is a beautiful thing. Sure. That's yeah. awesome. Yes. So, Stu, I just wanted to say thanks on behalf of the listeners. Guys, I, I hope I've just opened a little window into Stu Heldenates' life. He's he, he's one of the nicest people I know on this planet. He's got such an incredible skill as a surgeon, and uh, he's just an inspiring human being. He's got a lovely family. And, Stu, I, I just, yeah, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to call you a friend and a colleague. And thank you for today. Thank you for this lovely chat we could have had. Guys, thanks so much for the people from around the world who, who send messages constantly about the, the this podcast. It gets a bit tiring sometimes to wake up in the middle of the night and uh, and record, but it's worth it. It's just so nice to be able to chat to people. A shout out to Pentax Loops. Um, Karine, thank you so much for enabling this month. Um, yeah, and Stu, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Cameron, for- uh, Cameron and, and the same goes for me. You know, this, the last five years have really been really special. Uh, and it's been uh, it's been great to get to know you better and to work together with you. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on your show. <laughs> so guys, come back next week. We're going to have uh, some more interesting discussions. So thank you again, and uh, have a great evening.